Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more information on the things that we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Well, we're in Mark 12 on this episode of the Park Hills podcast. Alex and I What's up, Chris? are going to just give you wisdom, uh, the depths of wisdom that you can't possibly understand or fathom. Oh, man. That's not true. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> let, me, let me read verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Put a, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him one and he said, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So, you and I have talked already in a podcast about the political realities at the time Correct. of Jesus. And I don't want to go into super ton of detail there, but there's a ton of different, even Jewish parties, let alone political issues in general, right? Right. And I think most of our previous podcast, we talked about that, the Jewish political realities, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, chief priests, all those people. Right. I think this one might bend more toward the Roman side sure. of the politics, especially because, you know, verse 13, you have the Pharisees and the Herodians, like these guys weren't really friends. And to think that they're getting together, uh, it's kind of the, the old, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's, that's what they're going for here. So yeah, I, I think the biggest thing we have to look at is the, the, Jesus's context was so different than ours because he lived as a conquered nation. Mm -hmm. And in America, we have not been conquered. And and we are often the conquerors. We often, mm -hmm. you know, America has occupied other countries and imposed our rule on other countries. So we've just been used to being the ones who, and for better or for worse, who police the world, right? right. We see America in its history just has seen conflicts around the world and said, we need to step in again for better or for worse. Every situation has its own, you know, political right. ideology, but we have been the ones who step in and, you know, police different warring tribes, you know, World War II's involvement. And then, you know, we're occupying Germany, things like that. But here Jesus is on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. He's in a territory that is occupied by Rome. So he's a conquered people living under the rule of Rome. Yes, which opens up a can of worms that we're not going to be able to go into depth fully here, but we're kind of just opening the concept. And I, I would say partly because Mark is going to keep pressing these buttons more and more, and most of the books of the Bible that we we actually dig into are going to press into this more and more. And, and here's my point and why I'm saying that. The idea that the kingdom of God has a different political reality than the kingdoms of earth needs to be addressed and needs to be understood by us. Right. We, we need to stop sometimes and realize there are going to be many more times in our history where America might act like Rome rather than the kingdom of God. Right. Even the way that you're describing 
conquering. Yes, some of the wars that we've gotten involved in, we have bailed people out. But some of the wars we've gotten involved in were because we were afraid of future wars coming. And so we, we pushed ourselves into things that maybe we didn't need to police. And this isn't an anti-war, anti-military podcast. What I'm saying here is the way that God in his kingdom operates is different than the way we operate as humans. And so that political reality is just something that we have to wander through and realize there are going to be times, especially as preachers, where we might say things that seem like we're pressing against America, for example. Right. And we're not necessarily, but we are pointing out a reality that sometimes America's not going to act like the kingdom of God. And the reason why I'm bringing this up in this particular passage and the reason why I read that passage a second ago is Jesus is masterfully walking through a scenario here where you've got two parties that don't like each other. You've got Pharisees, you've got Herodians. I made mention in the sermon, and you this is your outline that we worked through, you made mention to the fact that the zealots are likely in the crowd as well. So you've got three political parties that all mm-hmm. hate each other who are listening to Jesus's answer with incredible uh, focus. They want to know what he's going to say because they want to know whether they can believe him and whether they can walk with him or not, even though they've already made the decision to kill him, to find a way to do that. But then on top of that, to add a whole other layer to this, Jesus is also speaking to a reality where Rome is actually in charge. And so you've got a totally different politic, a totally different uh, culture, nation, whatever word you want to use there. That is a a blanket that's laying over top of all of these other political realities. And Jesus, why he's so masterful and why he's so good at what he does, he walks into the situation, says what he says, makes everyone marvel, and then backs out. And all you walked away from that with was, he's asking us to, to operate in the kingdom of God. That is, that is superseding anything that this earth would provide. And the reason why I think that's super important for us to think about is as Christians, there are going to be times where you will not align with the political party that you're calling your own, right? Right. There's going to be days where whether you call yourself a Democrat or Republican, there are going to be days that you look at your party, what they're doing and what they're operating in, and you're going to say, this doesn't feel very kingdom of God. This feels something else. And that's okay. You need to be the person that's able to step back and realize, I am a sojourner in this land. I belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost. And because I belong to him, therefore, I operate differently. I'm willing to say hard things. I'm able to call my my own party to the carpet. Uh, I'm able to look at my country and say, I love so much about what America is. But at the same time, not everything that we do is in line with what God would want. And that's hard for us to deal with, but it's a reality that has to be understood. And I get really passionate about that. I know you do too. But when I think about the kingdom of God, I'm going, okay, that is an, it's, it's a reality that operates above and beyond what earth would provide. Right. And I, I think the, the problem is that in some respects, people have equated America with the kingdom of God. Which is dangerous. Right. And that's super dangerous. And I think mm-hmm. that is why a lot of the young generation, that's a big part of their deconstructing their faith is because they're seeing that so, that one generation is equating the kingdom of God with America. America mm-hmm. has done a lot of things in the name of the Lord and has uh, brought, at the very least, Judeo-Christian ethic, mm-hmm. if not the gospel itself, into the forefront of society. And that's a great thing. Uh, but the holding on to that has caused an equating with 
the kingdom of God. And then young people are seeing that, and then they're seeing the ways that America has failed, and they're saying, if yep. this is the kingdom of God and it's failing, yep. then then my faith, I don't want to put in that. Because I think the Bible Project does such a great job with it. This They, they uh, have a... It's called the Way of the Exile and the Exile mm-hmm. Two videos. But one of the things they mention is that all nations eventually become Babylon. Yep. Egypt, Babylon. Uh, Rome, Babylon. Babylon. Greece. Babylon. Yeah, Greece, <laughs> Babylon. Babylon, Babylon. Yeah, yeah, like they yeah. all eventually become the the Babel mm-hmm. of, uh, oh man, Genesis 10? 11. 11. Yep. Um, they all eventually become that, even if they start great. And I think we're seeing America become that. And what I think where this problem is is really rooted in even the system of America. I love America, and I love a lot of the systems we have. But one of the things that I've seen, and I think that uh, Christians my age and other ages are wrestling with, is there's a problem with the dichotomy of American politics. Basically, sure. we have two ruling parties, and everything is, is one or the other, right? There's no third view on anything because sure. you have to blanket uh, you have to blanket choose either the Democratic Party, which comes with, you know, one through 30 all on the left side or the Republican Party, which is one through 30 all on the right side. And you're like, well, what if point number two, I kind of agree with the left, but point number three, I kind of agree with the right. right. You can't. You have to choose the entire bucket. And I think that's leaving a lot of Christians politically homeless right now. Yeah. And I know I've felt that in different parts of, of my experience where I'm just like, I, I don't feel like either of these whole systems, entire systems. Yep. Now, there are certainly parts of one system or parts of another system that I like. Uh, but again, I think young people these days are seeing those whole systems, seeing broken parts in both those systems, seeing a wave of theology that's saying, oh, America is so exceptional that of course God would want to bless America. Or of course, uh, America as a nation should be propping up the Christian faith. And then they see things like bad wars or bad things that politicians do. And then they say, well, I don't want any part of that faith. And I think what Jesus here does so well with the the Caesar question is he's, he's pointing that, you know, obviously to the Jews, Rome would have been Babylon, right? But he's he's saying there there is a place for this. Give mm-hmm. to Caesar what's Caesar's. But but that's not my kingdom. Sure. Like I'll give I'll give Caesar his coin. He can keep his stuff. Like whatever. But my kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God. And so I think that's that Jesus just masterfully walks that line. Yeah. And it's no the line he's walking is no different than the line he asks us to walk today. And and I think part of what I want you to hear, listener, is yes, Jesus is calling us to walk the same line that he walked. At the same time, as well. Nothing is new under the sun. So some of the struggles you feel are no different than Jesus and how his disciples felt walking in the world that they did, where they've got multiple political parties fighting for affection from the Jewish people. And then on top of that, you've got this blanket of Rome trying to tell people what to do and how to do it. That's a dangerous place to be. And, and what we should take reference to is that Jesus is doing things right, and he's always walking the line properly and able to call a spade a spade and not afraid of the consequences. So to your point, and I loved what you just said about one through 30 of the Dems and one through 30 of the Republicans, and they're both on opposite sides. There are times where number 15 from the Dems actually sounds more right Right. than the left 
Or biblical, I'd say more well, biblical. Or, yeah. Or, well, but I'm even saying like there are times where the Dems just disagree with what the Republicans just did, and they actually side with more of a conservative view on on something. Yeah. There are just times where I'm like, that doesn't sound like a Democrat view at all, and vice versa. There are times where the Republicans, it feels like you're just choosing a side because the other side said this is what's right, and you're like, that's wrong, and you go, okay, this doesn't feel right. So then you have, like you're talking about Christians who, like abortion, for example. I think we can all agree. I don't know of very many Christians who disagree with the fact that abortion is an evil. Correct. Even yeah. the Christians who support abortion still say that it's an evil. They would just say it's a necessary evil, sure. which I, I disagree with that sentiment. At the same time, there are things that are done in the Republican Party that people look at and go, I can't agree with any of that. So then they go, but I still care about this. So now I am politically homeless. And they just go, well, now I'm, gonna, I'm not going to believe anything that that side says at all about anything, even though there's some really sensible opinions coming from the Republican side. And then some Christians are just like, no, I'm, I'm full out Republican because I'm, I'm anti-abortion. And I understand why you're coming with that, but, but there's way more to all of these issues than just one. And so what we end up becoming is sometimes people who vote for a party we don't like just because we agree with one part of the policy rather than the rest of it. And we go, yeah, I'm all in. You can be nuanced. You can say, I'm voting for this. You know, I've heard people say, I'm voting for the least of two evils. I would just say, I'm voting my conscience. Evil is evil, and it's on both sides, and I don't trust any of it. Right. That's kind of where I'm at most of the time. With that said, I, I usually lean conservative. I, in just general, I, the way that I operate my life, I try to operate my life in a certain way that probably most people look at and go, well, that's just a, you know, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, you know, like that's a, yeah, he's a, he's a typical evangelical. At the same time, there are things that I'm passionate about that some people would look at and go, well, he's a Democrat. No, I'm not. I, I don't really claim either of the parties as my right. own. Well, what's funny is if both parties claim to be the party of Jesus, right? Right. Conservatives usually anchoring that in abortion and uh, uh, liberals anchoring that in care for the needy and poor and homeless sure. and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I've found really to understand the parties is just big government, small government, right? Sure. What's the role of the government? And I don't think either of the opinions, should the federal government be small or even state government be small or should they be big? Should they do a lot or do a little? Should we leave it up? I, I think either of those positions can be biblically sure. founded. Like, but, but that's where like all the other stuff, then you start getting right. crazy. And like you're saying, sometimes Democrats will do things that are like small government, like less hands. That's and sometimes what I'm saying. Republicans will be like more involved. Right. And you're like, wait, I thought you were the, the party of, of, of small government. And right. now you want more government oversight on something. But I think all that to say, uh, at least from our Christian faith, I think there's a potential here that we've been kind of lulled to sleep by easy politics in the sense that as Christians, it's not been hard politically to be a Christ follower in our nation's history, mm -hmm. but now it's starting to get harder, right? Uh, it's starting to get harder to be a, a Christ follower when we have political pressure for things like, you know, pride month or, mm -hmm. you know, what to do, what to do with gender, those types of questions. Mm -hmm. But I think we, it's so easy for us to freak out about that because we're like, we feel the loss of certain freedoms that many people, especially even in Jesus' day, never had to begin with. And I think if we remember that, you know, look at 
right after right after Jesus, you have Nero's the emperor. Mm-hmm. And Nero's like, hey, if you're a Christian, I get to feed you to the lions, and that's okay. And the whole government at the time is like, yeah, sounds good to me. And so they just do it, right? right. And then you think of China forever, you know, even today, the... the Christ-following church in China, you can lose all of your your freedom or your finances just for owning a Bible. And there are plenty other places in the world. I think we have enjoyed political freedom, and I love that we enjoy it, and I'm not saying that we should just throw it out the window, but I'm also saying let's not freak out when we slowly lose pieces of that because that's all within God's plan, and that's been history. Sure. So let's use that as an opportunity to say, no, we are going to stand for the truth and not necessarily stand for political freedom to stand for the truth. Sure. Like, let's let's vote for that, certainly. I'm certainly voting for political freedom to exercise religion the way I want to. But when it doesn't happen or when the world doesn't follow Jesus, to me that's just another uh, reminder to have faith in Christ right. rather than to freak out and say, I can't believe we're losing everything the world's you know the whole nation's going to hell and all this all these terrible things like let's just let's trust the lord yeah you know let's remember that he's he's got all this taken care of all all nations eventually become babylon and i'm watching this happen and i'm living the life of an exile because the united states is not my true kingdom right it is my kingdom i am a citizen i have a passport uh i do pay my taxes yep and i do support our government, local and federal. I do yeah. obey laws. I'm yeah. not not here at all saying like, oh yeah, let's revolt. Like this is not right. our kingdom, so revolt. Do all of those things, but put your heart and your trust in your spiritual kingdom above your political kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think my, my last thought on this before we move on to the next topic would be as well, keep in mind that all nations do become Babylon and our nation might've become Babylon a lot earlier than you realize, because some of the things that we did even early on in our history had more of a strong empire, heavy handed feel. Even the fact that our capital is laid out the way it is, the fact that the buildings are built and look the way they are. It's very Greek, very Roman. They were trying already to sort of recapture some parts of those empires. So that should make us a little bit cautious. I'm not saying that we, we aren't, Christian. I'm not saying that we aren't a nation that often has chosen the Judeo-Christian ethic, but there's more going on than meets the eye. And that's not conspiratorial. It's just you look at our country's history and you go, man, there's some things we did really, really well, right? We are the foremost missionary sending organ, you know, nation of all right. time. We have given right. more money philanthropically to the world than any other nation in all time. Like right. we, we are so good at some of the things that we have done at the same time we were living in that reality while also struggling through civil rights right. or struggling through slavery or pushing Native Americans off of their land and doing this, that, or the other thing. And and I understand the reasoning behind why we did some of the things we did. I'm not even arguing the merits of it one way or the other. What I'm saying is you have to live in the world where you're able to go, yeah, I love this country and I also don't love everything we've ever done. Right. And, and I'm okay with that because it's not the kingdom of God. It's more like Babylon than it is the kingdom of God sometimes. And we're okay with that. Uh, and then it makes us go, come soon, Lord Jesus, because we want to live in a kingdom that that's not the case, you know, where we're not going to deal with this, um, in the long term. Yep. Okay. Final topic for this one. And I think that's a great discussion that might help some people. And if you need, you know, clarification, or if you want us to push further into that, I know some people love it when we talk about that stuff. Some people get frustrated, uh, 
we'd love to hear from you and let us know because then we can make another episode that kind of digs into it more. Uh, one of the things that you and I talked about when we were setting this sermon up was the the Old Testament being used in the New Testament. So, or, or to put it a different way, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament is often something that just kind of we just take it for granted. We just kind of go, oh yeah, they're quoting this passage. But it would have been a potentially very controversial topic at the time because there are passages that we argue about today. You know, I'm thinking about like end times passages, right? right? In our world today, most people don't agree on some of those things and they kind of fight like, I'm right because of this and I'm right because of that. Nobody knows if they're right because it hasn't happened yet. But at the time of Jesus, what I find very interesting is the Old Testament being used by New Testament authors has tremendous, uh, I, I don't know, um, tremendous potential for us to stop and think about what the Bible means and what it's all about. So in verse 10 of chapter 12, uh, Jesus quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. But then I would extend that out to the New Testament author's use of Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 110, uh, right? Even the, you know, the early stories in Genesis, some other things that are, that are kind of recapitulated in the New Testament are so incredibly interesting how they're using it. And it seems like they're always saying, this is what the scriptures always meant. You just didn't understand it correctly. And now through the lens of Jesus, this is how you understand it. And then secondarily, Jesus is Messiah. So therefore you should put your hope in him. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big point that Jesus is not necessarily reinterpreting, but through the lens of if he is Messiah, that's what this verse is talking about, which, uh, you know, at the time of, of us, Recording this, I haven't preached the end of Mark 12, but sure. probably when it comes out, yep. you'll hear Mark 12. But uh, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 there about, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit yep. in my right hand until I put enemies under his feet. They originally interpreted that as a reference to the political kingdom of David. Sure. And then that line ended with the exile to Babylon. And so then they said, oh, he must not have been talking about the the political kingdom necessarily it was messianic in a way of a political messiah that would retake the throne of david sure and then when jesus comes he's like okay you got half of it right the second time (laughs) yes it is messianic but messianic in the spiritual kingdom and so i think this this is a big part to me uh we call this the uh what do they call that the christ-centered hermeneutic is that the that when you read the old testament you read it through the lens of Jesus. Now, there are plenty of people in biblical scholars who say that we actually shouldn't do that, that the Old Testament meant something to its original readers, that we should try to uncover that first, mm-hmm. then uncover what it means, Messiah, and, and because it meant something to its original readers. I don't agree with that. I think Jesus, you know, in, for example, Mark 12, twice, he says, no, you should have been understanding this through me. Of course, I wasn't here yet. You didn't quite understand it. But now I'm going to make sure you guys know yep. fully what that meant. And us living post-Jesus, now we can look at the Old Testament and say, oh, clearly they were talking about Jesus, and here's what we know yep. about that. And so I think that's helpful for us. I would, you know, I have a Christ-centered hermeneutic of the Old Testament, but I didn't realize this until I think I got to, to seminary that there are plenty of scholars and people and pastors who don't have a Christ-centered hermeneutic. Yes. Who have a, I don't even know what they call it, um, but there's, they read the Old Testament only through the lens of its original hearers, sure. not through the lens of Jesus' reinterpretation, or not reinterpretation, 
better understanding. Sure. It sounds like a branch of progressive theology or something like that, where it would have made only sense to the original authors, but then later on, Jesus looking back and sort of re-ups parts of it or something. It, it's interesting. I, I think, so what, what Alex is describing, and I think what both of us would agree to is we we come at the Bible from an, an evangelical hermeneutic. And that's not to use that term back to the early part of this podcast, not in a political sense. I think sometimes the word evangelical has been hijacked now, and so now it, it means something that it doesn't necessarily mean. What evangelical means is that the Bible is made to be good news, right? Good news, right. it's Christocentric, it's it's focused on Jesus. So I would hold to probably something close to what would be considered maybe an evangelical theology, right? I see the entire scripture as pointing us to Jesus and then leading us to follow Jesus, right? That That's the, the general arc of the Bible in general. And you know, that's really what the Bible Project, I think, is is trying to capture when they say that we, you know, we believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's a great mission statement for them because it really tags it well and kind of lays it out. So in evangelical theology, there's actually an, a, a, a theology, a systematic theology called evangelical theology by Michael Byrd, which I really appreciate. I think it's a good one. Um, I will also, you know, if you really want to dig into this topic, we're just kind of <laughs> touching the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. It's a much more complicated discussion than what we're having. Uh, the commentary in the New Testament use of the Old Testament by D.A. Carson and, and G.K. Beale. Uh, Beale and Carson do a great job in that book. I've got it on my shelf. I don't know if you have it. It's so good in sort of helping us see, oh, that's why the New Testament authors were using that. They're, they're not just picking passages at random. There are things that are happening in the Bible that are very clearly pointing to Jesus, and the New Testament authors don't aren't afraid to point that out. And then Beale went on to do another one called The Handbook on the New Testament, Use of the Old Testament, Exegesis and Interpretation. Now, I will warn you, both of these are going to be heavy on Greek, heavy on Hebrew. There's going to be a lot of things that they dig into that you may not fully grasp if you don't know the languages, but there's enough there in both of them that you can go, okay, I'm going to wade my way into this and kind of figure it out. But just so you know, this is a topic of, of scholarship that is happening and we aren't just picking passages or Jesus wasn't just picking passages at random. There's way more going on to the scripture than you can imagine, which I want to end this podcast with saying something along the lines of this. There is no shortage of depths to dig into with the Bible. So don't feel like you've got it mastered. No matter how much time you've spent, no matter how good you are as a teacher of the Bible, you are a long ways away from being a master. So keep digging. Yep. Keep going. Keep going.